This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 49 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk with my guest, Liz Galarza, about how dialogue journals can be an outstanding tool for building relationships with students. How well do we know our students? I mean, they sit in our classrooms five days a week. We certainly spend lots of time with them, but how well do we really know them? How well do we know their thoughts, their worries, the things they obsess about? And how well do they ever get to know us beyond our role as a teacher? I've been hammering away at the importance of the teacher-student relationship for about as long as Cult of Pedagogy has been a thing. But every now and then, I come across something new, a method or approach that can really help build those relationships more effectively. And that's what I want to talk about today. My friend Liz Galarza, who teaches middle school writing in New York, has been telling me for ages about these dialogue journals she uses with her students and how transformational the journals have been in building her relationships with students. The journals had such a profound impact that Liz made them the focus of her doctoral dissertation. Having done something similar with my own students, with similar effects, I have experienced the power of these kinds of journals, so I invited Liz to share her system in this episode. Before I play the interview, a quick thank you to everyone who has left a review for this podcast on iTunes. Every review brings more listeners to the show, and I read and love every single one of them. So if you've been enjoying this podcast and you haven't left a review yet, Take a few minutes, go over to iTunes, and tell me what you think. Okay, let's learn about dialogue journals. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, Liz, if you would just please give us a quick um, description of just who are you, what do you teach, what grade level, where are you, and all that introductory stuff. Well, I've been teaching for 33 years. Um, I started back in the, in the 80s in the South Bronx. And if anyone out there listening taught in the 80s, they know it was a really fun time to be teaching, very creative, um, somewhat different than it is today. Um, I taught in the South Bronx for eight years. I did fourth and fifth grade, and then I came to uh, Long Island, Bayshore, New York, and I've been there ever since. I taught in Richmond. I taught fifth grade for a long time, and then I was recruited to the middle school for sixth grade, taught English as a sixth grade teacher, and now I have a really special assignment as a writing enrichment teacher, and um, that's what I'm doing now. I teach about 100 sixth and seventh graders, mostly sixth graders, and um, in 2011, I returned to school for myself to earn a doctorate at Hofstra University. Okay, and you were doing that while still teaching full-time? Yes. Okay, got it. So sixth grade, and what we are going to be talking about today, and this is, Liz and I know each other through a Voxer group that we have both been in for over a year now. And Probably so two. One of the things we talk about in this group, it's a group of maybe 20 different teachers, and we just we just share a lot of cool ideas and discuss a lot of things. And one of the things that Liz and I have talked about a lot over the last year is something that she's doing with her students called dialogue journals. And this is something that I became familiar with through a Harvey Daniels book called The Best Kept Teaching Secret. But I don't he didn't introduce the idea to the world. He's just sharing that. 
And Liz has just had a lot of incredible practices with Dialogue Journal, so I wanted her to come on here and tell us all about it. And you have actually turned your experiences and, and started doing you're doing your dissertation on dialogue journals. So this yes. is a real serious um, interest of yours. So why don't we just start by having you explain to us what exactly a dialogue journal is? Okay. So my initial use of dialogue journals uh, began when I took this position uh, four years ago as the writing enrichment teacher. And the purpose really in my mind I didn't really know that this was a thing. I just wanted to um, get to know my kids better. And I wanted to get them writing daily. And I had found in the past that giving them a writing prompt didn't always uh, get the good writing. So I really wanted there to be some kind of conversation. Um, So I really wanted to connect with them. And, And I had learned since I moved from the elementary to the middle school that middle schoolers really need an adult. It's to connect with, you know, they need the connection to school. So um, it was it was fitting a couple of different purposes. Um, so what is a dialogue journal? It is. Um, I'm going to give you my definition. Okay. Dialogue journals are ongoing written conversations between the teacher and her students in the form of a letter exchange or correspondence. So basically, it's just a back and forth conversation, but instead of it being oral, it's written. Okay. The writing can take place anywhere and anytime. So uh, sometimes I give my students, oftentimes I give them time to write it in class, but there are certain kids who would prefer to take it home with them. So it doesn't really matter when it's done. Uh, there's no prompt. The texts the text that are exchanged are intended to be meaningful and purposeful. So I really want to push for authentic, language, real language, the functional uses of language, which often don't occur in a regular day in school. Now, why, why don't they often occur? Because I think that's, a, that's an interesting observation. Well, oftentimes a teacher has an agenda. You know, I'm, I've been teaching a long time. I've had my agendas. We mm-hmm. need to get an assignment in. We need to get uh, um, a grade done mm-hmm. or, you know, the curriculum checked off. And so you know, we're asking kids to do writing that they really don't want to do. Um, They're doing it for the assignment. The difference in a dialogue journal is that they're writing about what they want to write about. So I allow the students to initiate the topic of conversation. And any writing is accepted and welcomed. And even the potentially tough topics like complaints Mm-hmm. and questions. In my research, I've learned that complaints and questions are probably at the top of the list when it comes to um, items found in a dialogue journal, mm-hmm. but complaints and questions are least heard in regular classroom discourse. You know, oftentimes kids are not allowed to complain, mm-hmm. and if they do, they're basically told, um, well, this is how it's done. Right. You know, they're they're not given they're not given the the space or the or the um or the time to 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 complain. Yeah. And questions is another thing. I mean, we ask for questions only when we're teaching, right? But we really don't allow for questions of interest to them. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me fill in a couple of gaps because um, I want to make sure that the people listening can picture this in your classroom anyway. What do they actually look like? Are these composition books? Are they three ring binders? How? What's the format? Um, 
I tell them they could use any any notebook as long as it's going to withstand the year's worth of back and forth. You know, so most okay. of them use the hard composition, the marble composition notebooks, mm-hmm. and then they decorate it. So mm-hmm. I ask them to decorate with uh, pictures or quotes or, you know, it's interesting what they come in decorated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it really does show their personality through how they decide to decorate it. But some kids use a spiral notebook. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids go out and buy a notebook mm-hmm. for the purpose. Um, some kids, I've had kids make a notebook that just throw some some paper together and, and draw a cover and staple it. Okay. Um, so it's whatever they're the most comfortable with that's... Right. They can create their own, their own deal. But it is one um, sort of bound thing. It's not separate sheets of paper that are flying no. all over the place. No. Okay. Okay. And then when you're talking about that, that, that you don't have a prompt, but that a lot of times that, that the things that come in tend to be a lot of complaints and questions, it's sort of natural. And I can see this in middle school because I was a middle school teacher too. Like that's a lot of what's going on in their minds. But when you, like when you get started, like let's talk about the beginning of the year and how do you introduce them to these? Because I'm thinking a lot of students aren't going to know what to write at first. And lots of kids will just be like, I don't have anything to write. So how do they start to understand what kinds of things they can write about? Okay. So um, at the very beginning of the year, I've always, uh, for, for all of my years of teaching, I've collected as much data on the kids as possible and not the kinds of data that um, test scores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I want to know about them. Mm-hmm. So I send out a parent a questionnaire Mm-hmm. Um, I get information from parents and then I give them, I do a lot of observation. I do some talking the first couple of days of school and then I give them a sheet. Basically, it's it's just it just says, who are you? I ask them for five pieces of information about them that I cannot find by looking in their cue cards or by looking at them. So, for example, they can't say that they wear glasses because I could see that they wear glasses. Mm-hmm. I want to know, and I and I try and give them a couple of suggestions, um, examples without getting too deep because I want them to tell me. And then on the bottom of that page, I tell them that they could ask me two to three questions about myself. And we talk about the appropriateness of questions, but for the most part, they usually ask appropriate questions, and I usually answer just about anything. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's I gather that information and I start the letter. So I would write, mm-hmm. you know, I would write to you, um, dear Jennifer. I'm so glad you're in my class this year. Um, we're going to have a great year together. Something like that as a first paragraph, basically um, a generic first paragraph for everybody. Okay. And then I get into very individualized, personalized stuff. So you might say um, that you like to. Uh, uh, to write. Mm-hmm. And I would say, um, we have something in common. I love to write too. What kinds of things do you like to write? The first letter I ask more mm-hmm. questions than any other time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get them to see that I'm human. We have common commonalities. I'm interested in you. You're important to me. Um, this is going to be fun. Um, it's not teacher language that I'm using. I'm using very um, open. I'm very open with them. Mm-hmm. I might throw in a couple of smiley faces or mm-hmm. other you know, emojis along the way. And I'll always sign it love. You know, love Ms. Galarza. Mm-hmm. And then um, they write back. And throughout the letter that I'm writing, 
they um, they will. Um, sorry, I got distracted. A second okay. by my dog. Okay. Um, <laughs> I turned around. It's like, oh, okay. Um, they throughout this dialogue, they're going to say, oh, you know, she likes she likes ice skating too. So they'll talk about ice skating, or I'll talk about. I said, I'll say something like, I have one brother. He's older than me. Are you the oldest or the youngest? And so they will then start talking. Oftentimes, that's all it needs. That yeah. first letter kind of takes off and some kind of thread begins. Right, right, right. So you I, do the first entry. Yes. The first entry in every journal is from you. That's really interesting. I have um, read about it being done otherwise mm -hmm. and having just saying to the students write me a letter yeah yep open-ended like that and that could possibly work as mm -hmm. well but I think that the kids who are less um who have a, a lower self-esteem when it comes to writing mm -hmm. or lower confidence level when it comes to writing would feel paralyzed by that so mm -hmm. I try and I try and make it very very open they write me back and at least eight out of 10 times, they follow the same format. That you started. Yes. Yes. They'll just follow along. Because you're, so you're modeling too. You're not only modeling the tone, but you're modeling the length of sort of a, an right. average response. Because I know there are those kids who you say, write in your journal and they will write two sentences and say, I'm done. I've said right. everything I need to say. Right. So you're already setting the tone. Right. And they normally start with, because after a while, I'll always say, um, thank you for your letter. Mm -hmm. that's usually how I begin or mm -hmm. it was so great thank you for writing back or um I'm glad I'm so glad that you wrote back something like that so that they start doing that too and they they yeah. follow suit and it's interesting I always um I always pay attention to how they end their letter because like I said I end it with love mm -hmm. and then some of them you know will write your student some of them will write love some of them will write from some of them will just write their name mm -hmm. Um, it, and that gives me information. Everything about the letter gives me further information about the student. Yeah. And so what happens is each conversation is completely unique. So mm -hmm. you might know something about me that somebody else doesn't know. And they might know a totally different yeah. because each conversation is unique. They've asked me those questions. So in my first letter, not only do I try and like bond with them and show them that we have a lot of, we have some things in common, I will weave in the answers to the questions that they've asked. Mm -hmm. Depending on how meaty they the meaty of the information that they've given me, mm -hmm. I might hold off and use that at another time that I might need it. So I don't I don't overwhelm them on the first couple of letters. Okay. And I, and I get to see how it goes. Some kids, it's going to fly. We will never run out of things to say. Yeah. Okay. Some kids, it'll fall flat after the second letter. <sighs> and I will either ask them some questions, which I try not to, and I'll, get, I'll explain that later. Okay. Um, or I will say to them just point blank. This is this is a place where you can talk about anything. What would you like to talk about? Okay. And does that does that work with more kids then? More, some kids get on board and they're mm -hmm. like, "Oh, can I talk about video games?" Yeah, sure. Okay. Go ahead, talk about video games, and then I then I try and get them to teach me something, mm -hmm. and it kind of empowers them. Some kids just say that they're just so paralyzed. I don't know what to write about, 
And then in those cases, I will go back to my original intake sheet, look for something and, and start. Um, Mm. Maybe I'll just ask them if they, if they, if they wrote that they have a sister, I start asking about their sister. Right. So that then that's those initial first letters that they wrote to you outside of the journals, you can right. return to those for more information. Okay. Let, let's talk for just a minute about signing them with love because I'm thinking that there may be some teachers who are going to hear that and they're going to think, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. So talk a little bit about your rationale and maybe what your suggestions would be if a, if a teacher's just that's not their personality to do that? Well, that's a great point because, you know, teaching is such an isolating mm-hmm. uh, profession. And um, I chose to write love. And what happens is halfway through the year, instead of writing the word love, I use a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because then you'll see the kids start doing that too. So um, I've just learned a lot of different things. But if it's a personality thing. So yeah. if you're not comfortable with it, then you wouldn't do it. You would might you might write sincerely mm-hmm. or looking forward to your letter mm-hmm. or um, your teacher. I guess you know my personality is um, I want the kids to know I love them. Mm-hmm. I tell them all the time I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a tough teacher. I'm mm-hmm. strict. Um, there's nothing um, wishy washy about me, you know, in the classroom. But I want them to see that just because I'm I'm uh, quote unquote tough as a teacher, that doesn't mean I don't love them. In fact, it means I do love them. Right. Yep. Yep. So they, 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 they get it. They get it. And you know, many of the boys never, of course, write love. Yeah. Um, They think that it's like, Ooh, how could you, that's telling your teacher you love them. Uh But, um, (laughs) but many of the girls do. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about just the logistics because in a little while we're going to get into some of the real benefits and some of the things that you've learned about the quality of them. But let's just talk about how you do this. So do you store them in the classroom or do the kids keep them with themselves? Um, I have trays set up on the ledge mm-hmm. labeled with, with periods because I teach um, – five different sixth-grade classes. So they're labeled according to to the period that I see them. Um, I ask them to be be turned in on a rotating basis so I'm not getting all 70 journals on the same day. So I'll say period one hands it in on Monday and period four will hand it in on Wednesday. So it gives me some time to write back. The journals are are there. They're kept on the ledge. Um, I have never had a problem with anyone going into another person's journal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talk to them about the privacy of the journal at the beginning before we begin. I tell them that they could write anything and that it will be between the two of us only, mm-hmm. except if I find that, they're, that they are in an unsafe situation. And we, we do talk about the possibility of things being revealed mm-hmm. that might be unsafe. So, um, they understand, and I make sure that they understand that if they write something to me that I feel, um, and, and there have been incidences yeah. where I will have to sit down with the student and say, what you've written to me warrants me to take this to somebody else in the school. And they understand, and in most cases, almost all cases, they wrote it for that purpose. Yeah. They yeah. want, they're, they're crying for help. Yeah. So they'll write something, and, and in, just this past year, a student wrote uh, said something. I got 
the social worker involved and after an investigate you know after investigating everything what she wrote was un- untrue so uh. so that was an interesting and then of course that's out of my hands and it, it goes in a different direction but um, she was one of those very quiet students that would have fallen through the cracks had there not been a journal for her to write something in, mm-hmm. you know, even if it was um, un- an untrue, you know, she, it was, a, it was a very serious situation, but her take on it, what she wrote was not actually what happened. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Yeah. I was in the same, I was in that same situation and we ended up having to, you know, bring in the guidance counselor and report what was written in the journal. And this kid never spoke to me again. I mean, he was mad. He was mm. mad. And I don't know what whatever ended up becoming of him. But that's those are tricky situations. And I'm glad that you brought that up. We didn't talk about that ahead of time. But mm-hmm. some some pretty serious stuff can be revealed. And we've got reporting responsibilities. Right. And and in the last years that I've done this, I have never had a, had a child stop talking to me or feel like I um, turned on them mm-hmm. because at the beginning of the year, I say what I, that, right. what I said before. And when I read it, I will, before going to anybody, I will talk with the child mm-hmm. about it. I'll say, I'll face to face with them. Yeah. There's something that you wrote in this journal that, that is, is um, making me think, you know, making me curious um, can you explain it to me? Maybe I read it wrong. Maybe you didn't, you weren't sure of how some kids write and they don't, they don't, they don't reread. <laughs> they don't proofread. Yeah. So they might have said something and I might have misinterpreted it. So, yeah. you know, I, I check with them first and then I tell them I am going to go to your guidance counselor with this. Yeah. You, would you like to go with me or do you want me to, I'll, I'll give them options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the logistics of the grading. And we want to talk about this in two different ways. Number one is how do you handle 100 kids? And I know that some people listening have more than 100, but that's I'm glad it's 100 kids because that's a pretty good number. How do you handle it time-wise? How often are you doing this? And then, and then we can also get into what are you actually writing in these because we've talked a little bit about how you've refined your responses to mm-hmm. meet certain goals for you. So first, how do you manage all of those journals? Well, um, in, in the research, as far as my practical experience, the time issue is, is the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not grade the journals for on content or there's no grading, there's no red penning, Mm-hmm. There's no pointing out of any kind of spelling error, grammar error. Um, the space of the journal is simply for communication okay, um, and for relationship building. Uh, of course, the more they write, the better they're going to get as writers mm-hmm. and the confident they're going to be. So mm-hmm. that's, a, like a, that's like a side uh, a positive effect. Yeah. And of course, the modeling issue is, is happening without them even realizing. Right, right. Um, if they spell a word wrong in the journal, on in my letter, I will use the same word, spelling it correctly, mm-hmm. hoping that they see it. If there's a grammatical sentence structure issue, I will I will write it correctly, and hopefully yeah. they will see it. Mm-hmm. For my my low level writers or my ENL students, my sen- my sentence structure is very simple, so that they could follow that. Yeah. Um, for my more advanced writers, I might use. Uh, 
a more complex sentence structure and hope that they're going to see, you know, I might combine sentences or use phrases and, and uh, just more sophisticated language. And hopefully they'll pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, but as far as, as time goes, um, I try and get it back to them as quickly as possible. They love receiving the letter. So when you, when, when they hand it in, they're saying to you the following day, did you read my letter? Yeah. You know, they want it back as quickly as possible. So I try and do that. Um, it is what I decide is my priority, even though I do not get a grade per se out of it. The only thing I, I do grade is that they handed it in. I want them handing it in. Okay. So, so, so it doesn't matter what they hand in, as long as they hand it in, they're going to get full credit for it. Okay. So that's, you know, if, if somebody writes you four pages of letters versus somebody writes just one paragraph, that's, it's pretty much a sort of a pass fail completion grade. Right. Because once you put a grade on something, I'm not really into grading. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you, and I know you, you know, star. And mm-hmm. so I've, I've sat through many of her sessions um, the more you put a gra- the the more often you put a grade on something, the less empowering you're making it for the students, yes. and you're taking away all of their agency. So uh, I don't want to. And how can I possibly grade right. something like this? Right. Um, so the only thing I will, like I said, is grade for completion. And I'm thinking even next year of not even grading it at all and mm-hmm. seeing what happens. Yeah. Uh, because I want to see who hands it in and and. And who doesn't on their own? Yeah. Because um, as long as the teacher is requiring something, there is that power, um, the authoritative power that I'm yeah. really trying to eliminate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does take time, and I do. It, I can get I can get a class set done in about in about an hour. Um, okay. So you're talking about five hours worth of time mm-hmm. in in the course of a week. Mm-hmm. Or two weeks. I mean, it depends. There are there are times in my life that I'm super busy with school, you know, with my own school, so I don't collect it as frequently. And then there mm-hmm. are times um, I do have them, I give them a due date for handing it in, but I tell them you can hand it in early. It doesn't matter. So there are kids that are handing it in as soon as I hand it back. Like I have mm-hmm. a student from two years ago who handed it back. I have like almost every day there's a dialogue between the two of us. Um, okay. And then there are children who will just hand it in on the due date. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a, a much fewer amount of letters. Okay. So for those, so you've, let's say this is like how many class periods worth? Five. Five class periods. Okay. So you've got these five trays and you just, so, so say like on Monday, you'd grab period one. You tell them this is your due date. Everybody right. hand in your dialogue. Don't you take those with you and you respond to all of them. And they have them back the next day, ideally. Ideally. So you don't take them. You don't take them out until you're actually ready to respond because you don't want them to be out of their hands for that long, right? Right. Okay. So if this one child turns something in early, do you grab that with the period fours that day yes, and just get yes. them? Okay. So they that's a signal to you that they want a response sooner. Right. Right. And okay. in some cases, um, those there it varies, but um, and I have lots of examples, but. There are some kids who are really looking, like I said before, for an, a, an authentic, caring adult mm-hmm. to see them. Mm-hmm. You know, many of these kids, this is sixth grade. It's in a school that um, they're, the new, they're the new students in the school. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to get lost in the new scheduling, new, uh, so many different teachers. If they're already shy, 
um, you know, your typical good student that falls between the cracks, doesn't raise their hand very much, isn't a behavior problem. They have stuff to say. Yeah. Yep. A lot of thoughts going on in every single one of their heads and they just, Mm -hmm. just just because they don't say it doesn't mean it's not in there. Right. And when they see that I'm giving um, time to their thoughts, Mm. I am going to jump on that. So it takes me, I mean, once you get good at it, um, we'll talk, I'll talk about response. Mm-hmm. Once you get good at it, 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 I can get a, I can get a letter done in five minutes right? or less. I have, um, arthritis in my hand. So that's the only thing that slows me down. If I could speak it and I've tried to figure out ways to do it, if I could speak it mm-hmm. and have it translated to text, because that is another option, you know, um, electronic journals, mm-hmm. you know, would work perfectly fine also. I like mm-hmm. the handwritten, the handwritten, because there's a um, there's a personality I think that comes through. But you know what? With with all the different emojis and and um, things that you could do through uh, electronic journals, uh, that would be a, a a way. Yeah. To to respond as well. It's definitely a, an option. It's not. I mean, I I agree with you. There's something about seeing somebody's handwriting that feels very mm-hmm. intimate, mm-hmm. but. I, I think for practical reasons, some teachers may prefer to do something that's more electronic. But um, so, one last question about the logistics of it. Uh, actually, two questions. So, one is if you're collecting these about once a week, the students are writing in them every day, correct? No, they're no, not. They're, they're not writing in them every day. They're just okay. answering my my letter. Okay, they're answering my letter. So that that could take. I often give them time in class to do it. Um, that could take as much as as little as ten minutes okay. for a student to respond, and it could take an hour if a kid okay. wants to really put a lot into it. Some some students take pictures and put them in there for me, mm-hmm. um, draw pictures, uh, so it might take a little bit longer. But no, they're not writing every day unless they get it back from me every day. So they don't write until uh, it's an a one 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 one. Got it. Okay. Okay. And so, all right, so the the time that you give them in class, I mean, that could just be something where a student just finishes something early and they say, can I just work in my journal for a little right. while? Or, okay. Right. So they keep them with them all the time until this, this hand-in date. Right. And then, okay. And then as far as, as recording this in your grade book, is it just a like 10 points or something? They did it or they didn't? Or is it just? I just you, check. I have a checkoff a list of their class right near the, um, the tray. Mm-hmm. And so when they hand it in, they check it off. Okay. It's all, you know, it's, okay. on, it's an on your honor type of thing. Okay. And then I see, oh, uh, Jen, you didn't hand in your journal. Oh, that's right. It's in my locker. And they go get it and they bring it or, or they'll say, I'll bring it in tomorrow. And then um, I just look at the end of the marking period. I look and see, did you hand it in all the times that you were supposed to? Yeah. There's a hundred. Right. Okay. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. Yep. It's really simple. Okay. Um, have you had students who just would not get on board or, or, or who you really struggled with for a while to get them to start producing some kind of writing in there? Absolutely. Okay. Um, it, it happens, um, I would say, one in, one in 10, one, to fi- one in 15, mm-hmm. that, a, that a child really doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, you would think it would be the child that doesn't like to write, mm-hmm. who claims that they don't like to write. Right. Um, but that's not always the case. That's okay. sometimes the case. Usually it is 
They just don't know what to write about. Mm. They are so, um, I keep on using the word paralyzed because that's how I feel. I feel that previous writing experiences for them have been so traumatic that they're almost afraid or they think so poorly of themselves that mm-hmm. they don't think that they have anything to say. Yeah. So what or, do you do then? Or they simply just don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, I will just, I will accept the one sentence. Okay. And I will try and say, you know, I'll say something like, thanks for writing. And I will try and write a little bit. Now in the research, when I first started with this, I tried to write a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that if I write a lot, they're going to write a lot. Mm-hmm. But in my research, um, mm-hmm. I found out that that is not a good practice because okay. it is very intimidating to them to see oh. so much writing. Mm-hmm. And they feel like either they have to match that amount mm-hmm. and maybe they don't want to or they have to match that amount and they can't. Mm. So the research says to try and match their the, the quantity with their quantity. So okay. if they write two paragraphs, I write two paragraphs. Got it. If they write four pages. I have to try and write a lot. Um, <laughs> At least a long one, yeah. Right. Um, and as far as questions go, another thing I learned in my research is that um, it's not really a good idea to ask a lot of questions because it puts it puts me in a very authoritative teacher mm. mode mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remove myself from that persona. Um, so I kind of try and get them to ask questions. Okay. Uh, so are you mostly revealing things about yourself and your own thoughts and, and reflecting on some of the things they said without asking direct questions? Absolutely. That's the best way to get them talking is to say, um, for example, to disclose information about my own life. Mm-hmm. Even if it's some things, and I know the te- there are teachers listening, and I've spoken to a lot of teachers about this, um, some, some teachers do not feel comfortable disclosing personal information about mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have little problem with it. Mm-hmm. I have found that um, the the more real they see me, the better um, the letters are going to be mm-hmm. and the better the relationship will be and the more they will see themselves as important people, um, which is so much more important than the word student. You know, I want yeah. them to see them, themselves as having something important to say and important to bring to the to bring to the conversation uh so i will tell them like they'll say to me they'll ask me questions about um for example my husband because i never talk about a husband Mm -hmm. and then i'll tell them that i'm divorced Mm -hmm. and um some some teachers would feel uncomfortable in doing that but i i don't you know sometimes they'll they might even ask in the next letter why yeah you know and i i might i might just say something like, you know, sometimes marriages don't work out. I'll try and like circumvent the question. Mm. Um, They'll ask me um, if I have grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'll I'll say, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) I have grandchildren? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Because they know that I have children and I'll talk about my kids and my kids are in their late 20s. So their assumption in some of their cultures, that's when you know, children are born. So they'll ask me questions like that. I have no problem answering those kinds of questions because 
what am I trying to hide? Right, right, right. Well, and there's also a difference between answering a question. If somebody asks you, why are you divorced? You can answer them truthfully without giving them all the inappropriate details that they don't right. need to know. But you can still, kids are learning about the world at this age. Right. Right. And one thing that I noticed about teaching middle school kids is that this is the age when they're pulling away from their parents and they don't want to talk to their own parents about anything, a lot of them. Right. Right. And I've had so many parents that will come to me and say, she doesn't tell me anything about school. You know, they don't they don't want to talk about anything. They'll tell me all kinds of stuff in their journal. So they need that relationship with a trusted adult who will continue to answer the questions that they used to ask their parents. Absolutely. And it's interesting you bring that up because when um, I only see them for 40 minutes a day, mm -hmm. as opposed to their core teachers that see them on an average of 50 minutes a day. Okay. And, um, and they see their core teachers probably in a different light than they see me. I'm like, I'm an elective class. So okay. whatever that means yeah. um, in the scheme of things. But when we have parent conferences and, and I'm there and I'll bring up something to the parent that I know or, <laughs> or I'll even bring up something to the teachers that I know, they all look at me, you know, how do you know that? Yeah. Because they share things that are important to them. They are initiating the conversation. Mm -hmm. They are in control. They tell me about things that will never come up in social studies, science, math, or English yeah. unless you allow them yep. to. Yeah, I found that as an English teacher, I always knew way more about my students than the other teachers did. And it makes you more sensitive to their needs than you yes, realize. Absolutely. Oh, they've got a lot going on right now. That's why they're acting up. And you can mm -hmm. handle things with, with, with smarts, basically, yeah. because you understand that things are going on. Okay, let's talk a little bit about now what, what are the effects of these journals? What are some of the impacts? So we can weave in your research a little bit, what you've discovered, how it's impacted your own teaching um, in terms of uh, relationships and how that's impacted the students academically. Just talk about why should teachers be trying this? There are so many benefits. I've already spoken about the mentor, the, the mm -hmm. aspect of being it being a mentor text. Um, you know, it's closer to speech than other writing styles. Mm -hmm. So it's so, it's such a, a wonderful technique for ENLs or very mm -hmm. low functioning writers. Um, they're individualized. So you can you could literally teach them something within the journal without anyone knowing that you're doing it. So I've done that mm. before. I've said something like, you know, you can use a semicolon, um, you know, in your sentence, and I, I might even highlight it, you mm -hmm. know, in this sentence up here, you don't need a period there. You could use a semicolon. I'll just throw in like a little grammar instruction yeah. as we're going along, mm -hmm. just only if I think that they would be receptive to it. Yeah. Um, I, it obviously increases the quantity of writing, and we all know it doesn't take a rocket scientist mm. to realize that when you increase their writing, the amount of writing they do, it's going to just naturally get a little bit better. Yep. Um, I could use the, the, the multiple language errors that I find in, in many of the journals as a basis for my mini lessons. So if I see that many of my students are not um, using commas when they're uh, offsetting a list mm -hmm. that might become a grammar mini lesson. If I see that many of them are not using the subject verb uh, correctly, the, right. I will I will do a mini lessons on that. So it informs my teaching. Mm -hmm. That's um, interesting too because yeah. you don't red mark anything, and yet that you, it's data still. It's, it's giving oh, you information on what they need to learn. Yeah, 
Jen, you're, you're a teacher, so you know everything is data. From, mm-hmm. the, from the minute they walk in that room, what they're wearing, what they say, how they look, how they respond, everything is data. You know, the writing is real conversation. And um, that is something that, like I said at the beginning of, of our time together, that the kids, kids go through school. I mean, I have two adult children who, got, who, who finished college and finally said, oh, that's why we had to do that. Now I understand it. Kids don't understand when they're going through school why they're doing it. They don't understand why they're given all these writing assignments. This is a real exchange with a real audience. Yeah. The reason why you're doing it is because I am going to listen to you, read it, respond to it. You know, it's so different than any other writing that's being that's being done. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps. It definitely helps classroom management. Because they feel, the kids feel like they're in a trusting, caring place. Yeah. Um, and because I know so much about them, like you said earlier, I might know if someone's sister just left for college. Yeah. And that's why their behavior is that way. Right. Or someone's a grandmother is ill um, uh, or, or things like that. Um, so it, And it definitely raises self-esteem because I really, without making it all sugary, yeah. Um, I really do value what every child is saying, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how is it, imp- it's impacted my teaching in all of those ways. Um, I, I found this quote as I was um, doing research um, that the philosophy is one of dialogue and differentiation, not transmission and standardization. You know, our, nice. our schools right now are all about transmitting knowledge. It's mm-hmm. all, you know, it's back to a different decade long ago where, you know, we have this vision of the kids having, having these open heads and we just plop in information, um, without any differentiation. Everyone's supposed to just follow along yeah. on this script yeah. that, um, that unfortunately, um, people are forced to use, but this practice is all about dialogue and differentiation, which is mm-hmm. just so such a different uh, mindset. Um, yeah. Yeah. I gain insight into their thinking as I gain insight into their writing ability. So um, it's a twofold. It's the time, in my opinion, is well spent because I'm learning not only about their writing ability, the academic aspect of mm-hmm. it and what I have to work on with each individual student. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about them as human beings. And I know that when my professors really get to know me, the relationship helps in my scholar, you know, scholarship. Yes. So I, we, we can all, you know, it's unfortunate that, that kids move from elementary to middle school and the whole philosophy changes, you know, many men, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but I've done, I've gone from elementary to middle school and there are some secondary teachers that, um, that feel that they are teachers of content. Yeah. Well, and that goes and, back to that whole transmission thing. We're just dumping right. it in and, and that's it. I've seen the exact same thing. And elementary, if you were raised as an elementary teacher, mm-hmm. your philosophy is that you're teaching a child. Yeah. You know, so yep. um, I think that, that I think that that is the biggest difference. But um, they they see me as being authentic. They they like that there's no correction or judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, anything is allowed, and you know the response is the most important part of the whole process. And that's where teacher personality um, is going to come in. Mm-hmm. 
this isn't going to be good for everybody. Um, I'll be honest. You really, it, it takes a particular type of teacher mm-hmm. to really want to put the effort into it. If it's going to be a status quo answer for everybody, yeah. it's, it's ju- just not going to be effective. Um, a motivating and encouraging response will keep the momentum momentum going. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, and uh, you have to be empathetic. You have to have that self-disclosure. You have to be real. Um, and then they'll trust you. And I feel, and I've learned, and, you know, I've had, I have, like I said, kids in my 20s, and I've been teaching for 33 years. I've made a lot of mistakes through the years, more than the time that we have here <laughs> I could talk about. But I've learned that if they trust you, you know, you're going to get much further. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So suppose I'm a, I'm an eighth grade math teacher. Is this, would this be worthwhile for me to do sort of on the side of the math that I'm teaching? Um, well, if I were an eighth grade math teacher, I would, I would use it uh, for mathematical reasons, you know, okay. and then work in, I could work in some of the personal stuff, but I would base it on math. I would have it like, um, I, it might be prompted or you might say, you know, write in the journal about something you either, uh, liked, you know, learned this week, understood, didn't understand, uh, want me to review with you. And then there could be some personal mm. tutelage there. But, uh, I think that if, if given some time and thought, I could come up with it working in any situation. Okay. Certainly, of course, literary journals, you know, Nancy Atwell was doing this back in the eighties with mm-hmm. her literary journals. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for that, that that's a no-brainer, you know, talking about books. But right. um, but I think that uh, science, you could definitely use it because you could talk about um, real-life science. You know how right. we we talked about. I think that I think that in the subject areas, it might need to be a little bit more prompted. Right. I was just thinking that you can't yeah. just let them go. But then again, with if you're giving them content driven prompts, right. you may not be getting to know the students and building right. the same relationship. You'd build academic trust with them, I guess, if they see right. this as a vehicle for being able to ask more questions and talk about mm-hmm. what you don't understand. But um, I, I guess if a content area teacher is willing to put the time in, they could also allow space for that more free form, just tell me what's going on in your life right now and maybe have separate conversations going on about the more personal stuff. Right, right. Okay. I think that there's a way, um, and I'm sure I, I I did not realize when I decided to use this as my dissertation topic that there was going to be so much written on it. Um, yeah. There, there is, there's tons of stuff. Much of it is about um, second language learning mm-hmm. uh, because it is a great, um, it's a great uh, link from from another language to English, uh, it actually originated with the deaf population, which, you know, oh, it's just such a smart thing, right? Right, right, right. Um, and uh, so many different uh, usage uh, in in emotionally disturbed uh, situations, you know, the journals have been used for class management, for mm-hmm. um, for, for children who are, um, have uh, problems at home, in, in, in special settings, Certainly, and um, lots and lots. So I'm sure that if we if we dug deep, we would yeah, find uh, yeah. information on that. But my the basis of my research is uh, because you know when you do a dissertation, you have to come up with something new. It's, you can't yeah. just it's, it's not very like a targeted. Report. It's not like an eighth grade report. <laughs> you have to actually come up with something new. And so my the the angle that I'm taking is the the 
power differential and how it is softened through the use of the dialogue journals. And so I'm looking at that. Um, so the way you respond, and I've mentioned it throughout, um, mm-hmm. really does have an effect on the authoritative stance. You know, so yeah, so, talk about, describe your research and what you've actually discovered on that question. So, so um, as, a, as a teacher, we always have that authoritative stance. We're the mm-hmm. teacher and they're the student and they know that. Um, I think the more you use that, as leverage, the less you're going to get out of students. So okay. I'm trying to uh, like kind of level the playing field to the best of my ability by being very real, by not using um, teacher words, mm-hmm. by responding to them um, in a very with playful language. I'll throw in some um, emojis. I'll throw in a joke. Mm-hmm. I'll you know I'll be a little bit different. I'll be very different actually than who they see. So when I, I'm doing teacher research. Um, so I'm, I'm researching myself, which is a very interesting, um, phenomenon. And I will look at the, I will analyze when I analyze my own writing, I sometimes say, who the heck wrote that? Like, it doesn't even seem like it's me, but it is, it's a different, a different persona. So they're seeing a very soft, um, fun, light, Mm -hmm. uh, language, um, I, I share my experiences. My writing style is is different than my um, obviously academic teaching style. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my my students are have funds of knowledge that I never knew about, and mm-hmm. I can give you an example. Um, may I give an example? Yes, please. Okay, so um, so I have this student this year, and and he uh, he is into taxidermy. Hmm. And hunting. And, um, you know, I live on Long Island, uh-huh. and um, I only have learned about taxidermy and hunting. I'm not, I, I'm not a hunter uh-huh. or a taxidermist <laughs> through um, maybe a movie or, you know, a book that I've read, but never firsthand. And he was uh, – boys, boys are different about writing to their female teacher, I think. And he, he – uh, I had – suggested to him because he started writing drawing these pictures for me which were so he told me that he was a taxidermist and I was so interested in it so I asked him to give me information on it and he really did like like technical like it belongs in a book and then he drew pictures so I suggested to him did you ever think about writing a comic book about hunting or taxidermy and so his response is I actually never thought about writing a comic book about hunting but when I was four or five, I used to collect comic books out east where I used to live. Maybe someday I might try that. And then he goes on to tell me um, this was during Storm Jonas. He told me that he shoveled and he made money. And he said, I may, uh, with the $50 of money I made, I'm going to buy a crocodile taxidermy head. And I'm going to buy eight-point velvet deer antlers. Velvet grows on velvet deer antlers, and when the deer wants it off, they rub their horns against a sturdy tree, and the velvet will come off nice and easy. But it's not pretty, because when the velvet comes off, the deer antlers bleed. Other than that, you know, and then he goes on to something else, and then he actually illustrates the two velvet deers. So I was just like, wow. So I went all my research into the funds of knowledge that uh-huh. kids have, you know. And then I realized that a few years ago, there was a boy in my class. His family was from Kosovo. 
I know nothing about right. that country. And he asked, he was very interested in his in his heritage, in my heritage, where am I from? And I asked him just like one question like, what do you know about Kosovo? Well, I got oh letters gosh. and letters and letters about their war, about the civil war, about the food. I mean, he wanted someone to ask him that question. Oh, I love that. And no one ever asked him that question. So between, and these are two boys. Another really interesting one was um, a couple of years ago when Jeter, when Derek Jeter, um, this is a boy who point blank said, I do not like to write. Yeah, okay. And I will start off by saying he wrote more than any other student that year. (laughs) I have more pages in front of me than any other. He he got, the, the book was almost sequential daily. Okay. He tells so in his intake sheet, he's every single thing he wrote about was about baseball okay. and about the Yankees. Yep. So I said in my first letter to him, in my second paragraph, I said, We have something else in common. I am a New York Yankees fan too. Can you believe that Derek Jeter is retiring? I cannot imagine the team without him. That one paragraph <gasps> stained almost the whole year. His letter to me was I can't believe it either that Derek Jeter is leaving us, but he is getting old. (laughs) He writes, farewell, Captain. He has been playing for 20 years, half of my dad's life, and twice my age almost. Wow. So, I mean, the mathematical thought that went into that on top of, and, um, you know, then he... He, he starts writing about some other things that I have. I can't believe that you've been teaching that long. I thought you were younger than that, which, of course, made me give him a right off the top. Um, he says, sometimes I like writing when I'm bored. I try to read whenever I can. I like reading about baseball history, like about Babe Ruth, so nonfiction. So he answered my original questions. That letter was enough, enough material to get us through almost an entire wow. year. That is really cool. But that, I mean, that whole concept of funds of knowledge, I mean, every kid is walking around with information that they have, unique information that they might not even value because to them it's just part of their normal lives. They might not right. realize what they actually have to teach people right. until somebody shows an interest. So the value, the word value is really important here because, you know, the – the way in which we empower our students or we let or we level the field or we or we give up some of our own control is by is by giving them the power to have valuable things to say mhm mm-hmm. um i have a couple of other examples i have a, i had a girl she was from her family was from pakistan she was going through some very um difficult internal struggle with being living in America, wanting to have American, wanting to be um, part of the American culture, but living in a household that was very much Pakistan. You know, mm-hmm. she, so she was one of those students who would write four pages. Um, mm-hmm. We got very, very, very close. Unfortunately, her parents took her out of the school and put her into a Pakistani school. And it might have even been because of mm. her relationship and her, I allowed her to explore um, options or explore her thoughts, whereas yeah. her parents really wanted her to, to stay in that realm. But um, she talks about, she, she said, she's talking about a crush. She said, I know that I have, I have a crush 
having a crush isn't dumb, but I have a weird culture. Nothing like the religion. I love my religion. Mm. So yeah, have you ever had a crush? Mm. You know, here's where you can disclose. So mm-hmm. yeah. the, um, this is the same girl who asked me about grandkids. Uh-huh. So, um, so I said, I have, I have had hundreds of crushes, <laughs> you know, underline hundreds, exclamation points. Um, um, I know that your culture is different than mine, and I would really love to learn more about it. Please share. And I put like a heart. And then I said, it must be difficult when most of your classmates do not understand your customs. Mm. Why do you call your culture, quote, weird? And so that took off on a conversation. And so she was she was struggling with, is it weird? Is it different? And, you know, the, that the, the information in that journal was very, very deep. It ended up that she and I became, we started talking. Um, I, I invited her into lunch once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the relationship took off in a different kind of a way uh, than in most. But she was looking for someone. Yep listen to her about this. Yep. And that's the thing is that, you know, they have they have friends their own age, but a 12, 13-year-old kid doesn't doesn't know how to respond with empathy and validation and disclosure. Like kids their own age are kids. So and if they're kind of distancing themselves from their parents, really they don't have anybody for a, a most part to have these kinds of kind of deeper conversations with. Right. She was a student who looked different also. She had the he- she wore the head the head mm-hmm. uh gear and mm-hmm. and um and so unless you knew her from a previous school. Now remember this is 6th grade. So she is coming in touch with people, a lot of people that had never seen her before. And yeah. so she was she was struggling. Mm. Um another another um student this year um I got very close to she, uh, we, the conversation in the dialogue journal had to do with dogs. You know, kids love talking about pets. I have two dogs. Unfortunately, um, one of my dogs is pretty sick and he's diabetic. Both of my dogs, believe it or not, are diabetic, but this dog is older. He's diabetic. He's blind. So the conversation was mostly around her dog and my dog. And then her dog put had to be put down Mm. and um she came to me you know it was a lot of crying a lot of consoling a lot of writing in the journal and then um a few weeks after when they had um they got a box for her dog and everything my dog got sicker and and so you know she would ask me uh how how's blanco and I answered her truthfully because I, that's another thing I think that, you know, teachers often lie to kids to make it easier for them. And then when they find out that you've lied to them, you lose, you lose, you lose complete trust. They, they don't trust you anymore. So I would say, oh, he's not doing, you know, he's not doing that great this week, but I'm optimistic he's going to be better next week or whatever. So she took on a totally different stance with me. She became, she became my caring. She became we we reversed roles basically. Yeah. So she says, "Dear Miss Galarza, I'm really sad to hear the news about Blanco. Sad face. Mm-hmm. I know what you're going through. Just hold on tight. Mm. Heart. Always remember your students love you. We are all here for you whenever you need us." And it goes on, you know. And so every letter she asked about me, and it got to a point where she would walk in the room, look at me, and we would look across the room, and she would know. 
if Blanco had a good day or a bad day mm. the night before. And she, at the end of the year, you know, was hysterical, of course, and we, we, we both were. Yeah. Um, this never would have happened. No. Um, and I'm not saying I'm, there's nothing special about me. This can happen for anyone. It's right. mag- uh, in my opinion, you see, you hear the passion uh, uh, in me. Yeah. It's mad to me. It's magic. What can happen? Yeah. Because I, um, I don't look at teaching the way many people do. You know, I know that they could learn anything they need to learn from their homes with a device on their lap, still in their pajamas. Yeah. They don't they don't need me. Right. To learn. Right. They need me to care. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Liz. That's genius. You're right. Oh, my gosh. I can only facilitate the learning once they realize I care. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how, how well prepared you are with a lesson plan. If they don't buy into you as a human being, especially in the middle school years, things change when they get to high school because they realize they've got to know stuff in order to get into college. You know, like then they start going into like, got to do this, got to do this. But right. in middle school, they're not thinking that way. They no. don't care. Nope. They don't they, care. They are so into navel gazing at that point. They are not thinking about the future. They just aren't thinking about anything. Yes. So, okay, Um, I'm looking at my list of questions and I'm thinking that we kind of, we jumped around a little bit. Is there anything else that we sort of talked about before that, is there anything else that you want to share basically about, about dialogue journals? Um, I think that um, it was a, it was a classroom practice back in the day, in the mm-hmm. 60s. In mm-hmm. fact, the, the landmark study that I'm basing most of my research on was a woman named Leslie Reed, and she did it. She did these journals with her sixth grade class, and I'm quoting, um, she says, to help students use writing functionally and to encourage greater personal autonomy and problem solving. That was the reason why she was using it back in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. So there was this uh, researcher who was looking for a method to use in a counseling setting. She spoke like on a soccer field or something to somebody and sa- who said, oh, you know, my daughter's teacher does, does these journals. Maybe that will help you. And that's how the whole thing blew up. So in the, 60, in the late 60s, early 70s, up until the early 80s, this was a, this was a, a classroom practice that was quite, um, you know, quite often seen. Right. When, you know, the no child left behind rules came in, when all those laws and, you know, all the the standardization came into teaching um, in the, you know, late 80s, 90s and to the present, many of these practices uh, went, you know, into the background, replaced with things that, in my opinion, and uh, they don't work. They don't work. And they've really, they've really turned kids off to the whole process. So this is not something new. It's just something I think that can be renewed. And I've found that I can use it even with the, uh, the confines. Of course, I'm a, I'm a blessed woman. I do not teach in a core English class. Mm. It's an elective and I'm given a lot of freedom. But I think that um, with a little bit of creativity – uh, teachers can fit this in, even under the constraints, you know, um, that they're presently under. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we are going to put together a, a really nice blog post to go with this interview with pictures of some of your, your actual students' journals with your responses and sort of how you've got it set up and maybe some step-by-step instructions so that if anyone's listening to this, they can go to that. And I will put a, I'll, I'll give instructions here at the end of this podcast so that people know where to find that information so they can start implementing this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. Have a great day. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, go to cultofpedagogy.com slash pod and click on episode 49. To get weekly updates on all my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.